online podcast. I, I, why can I not say the word podcast, Rich? Every time we start all that this Spanish, stage, man. All that Spanish. Every time. Every time we start this, I mess up on the word podcast. I mean, that, I can't even get like the first five words out of my mouth before before this thing goes south. Sooner Nation podcast, hey, online podcast of Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. He's Rich DeCray. I'm Matt Hofeld. Um, going to go uh, through a couple of things uh, tonight on our list of, of uh, discussion topics. So we're going to, again, spend a lot of time talking about Oklahoma football um, and just things that are going on there. But, you know – Basketball, spring sports are coming. Softball ranked number four nationally in the coaches poll. We'll talk more about softball next week because we'll, at that point, we'll be less than a week from the season starting. But basketball, since we recorded last, Rich, they they won the Bedlam game. They uh, pretty much dominated Vanderbilt in the uh, Big 12 <laughs> SEC Challenge. And, and then they come out and just completely lay an egg on Big Monday against Baylor. They go from potentially their best game of the season against Vanderbilt to what is absolutely their worst game of the season to this point against Baylor. Uh, and I don't want to say Jekyll and Hyde, but now you've got a team that's lost two home games. They have the opportunity this weekend to pick up. I mean, you know, it's, it's not rocket science. When you lose a game at home, you got to pick one up on the road. That opportunity is there with West Virginia this weekend, but it's certainly it's anything but a give me game. This you know this is a West Virginia team that beat Kansas earlier in the season just a couple of weeks ago in Morgantown. So Oklahoma is going to have their hands full. But man, that that game against Baylor on Monday night was just there's no other atrocious. word other than atrocious. Yeah, that's exactly the word I was thinking of was atrocious from from hey. just the way they were dissected defensively to way they just shot the ball so poorly on the offensive side of the ball. You know, it's, is, is this a Jekyll and Hyde team or was that just a bad night for OU basketball? I, I am not willing to say that this is a Jekyll and Hyde team. One thing that you do have to consider when you look at a Baylor Bears program is you know that they're going to throw a lot of zone at you. That's not something you, you see extremely commonly on the collegiate ranks. I think largely in part because college has been dominated for a long time by the play of the guards. I don't see that this year. This year's really that anomaly for me. I don't know if you're willing to go that far at this point in time, but I certainly am from the top to the bottom. I, I just don't see this elite guard level play that we've consistently talked about when it comes to college basketball and more specifically when it comes to tournament quality teams and, and who's going to win the national championship. Take Duke, for example. They're about to set a school record, and not in a good way, for three-point shooting percentage on a season. They're on pace to have the lowest shooting three-point shooting percentage in school history, and that's a perennially good team with top-notch talent. Nothing's changed. Still a good team, still top-notch talent. I just don't know where the guards are, and maybe we're seeing that shift. Even going back to last year, it was a very forward or um, center-dominated NBA draft last year. Are we seeing a shift because of that? Are, are we going to start seeing this inside-out game become more prevalent? I don't know. You're asking the question about Baylor and going back to that. It's this zone defense that I, I really credit with just giving Oklahoma all kinds of fits throughout the first half. Baylor builds that large lead. In the second half, I thought Oklahoma played better, but 
even though they're playing better, they're just trading buckets with Baylor. That's not going to win a game when you're already down by nearly 20 after 20 minutes have been played. Grant, granted, Baylor hit some three-pointers, some clutch three-pointers to push that lead out even further when they needed to, and they sealed the game, again, by playing that zone defense, not letting these slashers or, or the strength, the physicality, the length of this Oklahoma team really play a factor on the offensive side of the court. It was all on the shooters, and again, I, I just don't see these big-time shooters who can step back and knock down a three-pointer with consistency anywhere in the nation at this point in time. And granted, I, I'm not watching a ton of basketball outside of the Big 12, but I, I'm just going to take that as a blanket statement and use that to describe this 2018-2019 season as far as any NCAA team is concerned. Oklahoma now 15-6 and six on the season. They still have an NCAA tournament resume. You know, no one thought this team was a national championship contender going into the season. They The preseason non-conference play kind of made you think that this was a team that could compete for a Big 12 championship, uh, especially with – I mean, in the Big 12, I believe the Big 12 is a deep and good conference, but it's still a down conference. I mean, Kansas lost to Texas tonight – as we're recording this podcast, that game ended wow. just a few minutes ago. So the Jayhawks now sit at five and three. Baylor five and two, Kansas State five and two, top in the conference. But I, I, I don't, I don't see this team. I mean, I've, I've, I've come around on them. They were better than I thought they were going to be. I still think they're better than I initially thought they were going to be. But two and a half games back, having lost home games, their last two conference games in Lloyd Noble have been dropped. They've got to go on the road now and get this win at West Virginia on Saturday, but I don't know that I would consider them a a a Big 12 contender at this point, but certainly still an NCAA tournament contender. Um, I'm I'm still on the fence. I, I thought that that eight Big 12 teams would make it into the NCAA tournament. I still feel that way. Am I am I way off on that, Rich, or do you still see this conference as being about eight deep for the NCAA tournament? And am I way off on on right now at this moment taking Oklahoma out of the championship contention for the Big 12? The Big 12 is certainly one of the conferences that is going to continue to be difficult to sort out because of these essentially upsets. If we want to go as far as labeling them as such. For instance, you just mentioned Texas, Kansas. We had West Virginia beating Kansas as well. Texas Tech looking good and all of a sudden dropping games in the Big 12 that they, I mean, all three of them were to unranked opponents. Never saw that one coming. So the Big 12, absolutely going to be a difficult conference to figure out. Everybody has the favorite as Kansas and rightfully so when they've won the conference 14 years running. When I'm looking at the NCAA tournament, I still think the Big 12 is a strong conference, maybe not as strong as we had initially expected them to be. Eight teams may be a little much for me, Matt, at at this point in time. I'd be willing to drop that number to six right now. Uh, Man, I don't know. No, no, go ahead. Finish your statement. No, no, finish your statement. Simply because what? I was saying that that simply because I think we have teams that are – just aren't that good. I mean, it's it's hard to say it any other way. You look at this West Virginia team, 
and they're not up to the level that we're accustomed to seeing from a Bob, a Bob Huggins team. You look at some of these other programs that are just pulling up. I mean, I thought TCU was going to be good. I thought Kansas State was going to be really good. I thought those were, were teams that were worthy of top 25 consideration, not just in the preseason, but for the entire duration of the season heading into it. And it just hasn't happened. I thought Oklahoma would be that fringe team. I told you initially, Matt, that they were going to be in the bottom half of the Big 12. That was my expectation. It wasn't extremely high. And a large part of that was because of the new faces that we've seen. What Oklahoma does well is they play defense, but they it's the opposite of the football team. We, they've got a good defense, but consistently on offense, they, they've got to find that score. And that's where we're seeing this Trey Young effect with this team. I digress on that statement, but the reality for me is, is six teams, I think, is, is almost a guaranteed. Eight teams is an if for me in NCAA tournament at this point in time. Well, and I'm, I, I look at the, the Big 12. I'm, I'm watching. I'm looking at the standings right now. There, there's two teams in the conference with losing records. One of those is West Virginia, Oklahoma's next opponent. They're one in six in conference play, which amazes me that their one win is against Kansas. And then Oklahoma State, two and right. five in conference play. Both of those schools sit at nine and 11 on the season. But then you look at the rest of the Big 12. Texas Tech has the most wins of Big 12 schools at 17 and four. Then you've got Kansas with 16 wins. Oklahoma, uh, Kansas State, and TCU all have. Iowa State even 15 wins you know Texas set at 12 and 9 could be that bubble team but again they're 4 and 4 in the conference and just beat Kansas and so if you're going to leave one of those eight schools out who are you leaving out at this point I mean Oklahoma probably sitting with a worse resume than any of the other seven if you maybe throw in TCU, TCU's 0-3 against ranked opponents. Here's what's crazy about Texas. We talk about their record sitting at 12-9, and 9, but they, they've played – of the AP-ranked opponents, they've played six. Of uh, The USA Today coaches poll-ranked opponents, they've played seven. They're 3-3 three and three against AP teams, 4-3 and three against USA Today coaches poll teams. Oklahoma has one win over a, a top 25 program, and that's TCU. I'm just saying it, it – if you're what what you're saying is correct, only six teams are making it in. Then I don't think I don't think Oklahoma's one of those uh, those six based and, on their and that resume. may be that may be the case. But we've always talked about that magic number of twenty. Here's why I'm going with six. Now here's here's the real reason, and it goes back to something that that I said previously, in that I don't see this dominant guard play on the outside along the perimeter anywhere in the nation, which to me says that we're going to have some conference tournament winners who pull off the upset, win their conference tournament, and by virtue of winning the conference tournament, get that automatic bid. I think we see a higher number of those than what we've seen in the past. So you can't leave that conference tournament winner out with an automatic bid. It's who are they going to bump? That That's the reality for me. And unfortunately, I, I think at this point in time with the Big 12 being questionable, even though I've said they're the best, the best conference in the nation, with the Big 12 being questionable, I think at least one of those teams is a Big 12 program. Well, I'll tell you what I'm doing right now. Enough said. Is, said enough. I, well, here's what I'm doing is I am uh, putting together a poll 
right now for Twitter. Uh-oh. And it, hey, I just want just, you to know what happened the last time you did this. I know, I know. Just tweeted it out, and so people can can vote on their poll. Uh, there's only two options, six or eight, and um, and now, now people have the option. Sports Heartland is our Twitter feed, and uh, the poll will expire in 23 hours from right now, 23 hours and 59 minutes from right now. That poll is done. I say closer to eight. You say closer to six. It's probably going to be seven. And even at seven, I think Oklahoma <laughs> has has a uh, has a chance to be left out. When you when you look at Oklahoma's schedule, you know this, this West Virginia, the West Virginia game on Saturday, it, it is an absolutely critical point for this team. You're coming off of a 30 point blowout loss. You you got to go and get some confidence back. You got to do that on the road because when you look at the the what's following West Virginia. You've got Iowa State and Texas Tech. The good news is they're at home, but the bad news is it's Iowa State and Texas Tech. And then you go to Baylor. Oh, no, yeah, they just beat you by 30 points. This West Virginia game, Oklahoma, they're sub-500 right now in conference play. They they need to be one in three – or excuse me, yeah, one in three worst-case scenario over the next four games. If they lose West Virginia Saturday, then I don't see how that's even a possibility – for them to be anything but 0 and 4 over the next four games. Yeah, I do agree with you in that it is a very critical game at this point of the season, especially given the numbers that you've already thrown out with Oklahoma dropping those home home conference contests against programs that are by any stretch of the imagination are beatable. Um, it's not as though Oklahoma doesn't have their chances now. With Baylor, I would argue that they did. They, they just didn't have a chance to win that one. They were out of it pretty early on, and, and that situation never changed. So kudos there for the, the defense that they employed and the havoc that they wreaked on any Oklahoma chance of getting back into that game. Here's what worries me about this West Virginia game, and I'm saying it's, it's kind of a pivotal point in the season for Oklahoma. What worries me is, is Bob Huggins is a pretty savvy coach. He knows what he's doing. Is he going to look at the game that Oklahoma just played against Baylor and say, look, we may not have any lockdown defenders like we've had in the past who can eliminate a single player from a game for 40 minutes. And instead we're going to run a zone. And you know what? We're going to model it exactly off of what Baylor did. Granted Baylor shot extremely well that night, which certainly helped them get this gap or distance themselves from Oklahoma. But if West Virginia comes in and can do something similar, I mean, it's it's going to be a difficult, difficult night for Oklahoma. Well, I hope – I mean, personally, I hope Bob Huggins does do that because it, it, any team that's going to change drastically what they do oh, for on, one Matt. game – No, I'm serious. Th- think about it. How, how do you how – Drastically, do you, what, you, you grow up learning the zone. It's, no, I mean, now I, Bob, I Bob Huggins is not like, right, but you because Bob Huggins wasn't your coach. I mean, I'm just saying <laughs> that Bob Huggins, you you don't you don't they, if they didn't change what they do for the Kansas Jayhawks, they're not going to change what they do for the Oklahoma Sooners. And and what I'm saying is, I hope he does just rapidly change his entire system 
because that I feel like that helps Oklahoma because you got a lot of guys suddenly where they've been since they've been in Morgantown. This is what they've been taught by Bob Huggins, and then you're going to change that for one game. Can you imagine how much confusion there's going to be? And all I mean, I just I I disagree yeah, on, I'm, on, I'm on the game plan side assessment. And we're, well, that's fine. We're that's to what's agree great about the disagree. podcast. Yeah, we As, do that all like the time. Like I said, that's something that that you learn from a young age. I mean, we were we were running Oklahoma's offense when I was in middle school. We did we mimicked their offense, but we played all kinds of defenses based upon who our opponent was and, and what their strengths were. We would cater not towards their strengths, but attempting to put them in situations that they weren't comfortable with. And clearly, I feel like Oklahoma is with that. They're uncomfortable when that zone is deployed. I don't care if it's a if it's a box in one, I don't care if it's a one, three, one, I don't care if it's a two, three, it doesn't matter. I, I mean, I feel like it's instilled into you as a player at a young age. Granted. Yeah, Matt, I see what you're saying. There could be some breakdowns in, in where you're switching to who's covering that, that swing pass when that pass happens. Where's that rotation down into the inside? Yeah. There are all kinds of problems that could potentially happen. But these are Division One athletes, man. Oklahoma is still playing for something, whereas West Virginia almost has nothing to lose. Why not try something drastically different? Hey, West Virginia still has the college basketball invitational. I mean, come on now. They, they, they don't act like they got nothing out there. Um, it's I mean, it's I not an NCAA. <laughs> we'll we'll see what uh, Saturday brings. Uh, noon tip off for Central uh, Central United States. Uh, for those of us living outside the country, it's 11 a.m. Um, you know, I don't know. 11 a.m. basketball tips are, are, to me, they're more painful than 11 a.m. football kickoffs. I don't have an opinion on that because, I mean, 11 a.m. <laughs> like late morning. You sh- you should be up and out of bed. Yeah, but you got to get stuff done before you you start watching sports. I mean, I, that's just my Saturday. Yeah. Like always, always have, nine, like a normal human being. I don't know, man. Saturday, Saturday's always a good <laughs> day for me. Man, I, I'm not giving you a hard time. Sooner Nation, the online podcast, Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. He's Rich DeCray. I'm Matt Hofeld. Latest mock draft for the NFL. Kyler Murray going number four to the to the Raiders. I, I don't know if you saw this or not, Rich, but the Raiders have sent out a message to season ticket holders, basically saying they have no idea where they'll be playing next season. And uh, to stay tuned for more oh, information, yeah. uh, that could be Kyler Murray's new team. Uh, Cody Ford, number 18 to the Minnesota Vikings, and Marquise Brown, number 19 to the Titans. Uh, still looking like three first-round picks for the Sooners this year. Clearly, all three of those guys making the right decision to jump into the NFL. You were kind of on the fence with Marquise Brown last time we talked about NFL mock drafts. Have you come around on him just a little bit? Are you still saying you you you, you still see him more later first round or early second round? Yeah, for for me with Marquise Brown, I think he's worthy of a first round pick. I really do, and I think someone will take a chance on him. One is he ha- he has the pedigree. It kind of runs in the family. I don't know if you've noticed at this point, but, you know, his cousin, Antonio Brown, has had quite a career in the NFL. Marquise Brown trying to fill a similar role for a team, I believe, with the speed that he possesses and the ability to get behind defenses on the outside. The thing for me with Marquise Brown has always been his health. And the 
this previous season, it was something that he continuously struggled with. It was something that he never seemed to fully recover from either. And so when I'm looking at Marquise Brown, it isn't whether he's worthy of a first-round pick. It's the question of when he hits that combine, what's he going to be able to participate in? And will skipping specific events that they look for these measurables in, specifically when it comes to wide receiver, will skipping certain events hurt him, or is he going to participate, be a full participant, and do 100% of the activities that are set up there at the combine so that these scouts have something to go off of? I believe he's worthy. I believe he's deserving of a first-round pick. But, again, I I keep coming back to that health issue. Will he be a first-round pick if there are health concerns? And and I can't say yes to that because no one wants to pay for a player. And then, well, I mean, unless it was Baker Mayfield, apparently, where we were talking about – him going to the Browns and then sitting his first year. Nobody wants to, to pay this first-round pick and not actually use them or get them into the system potentially in the first year, or ideally I see that happening in the first year. So with Marquise Brown, I think he's a first-round pick, Matt. I only said fringe, again, because of the, the health concerns that I've seen. Well, I think NFL scouts are going to want to know about his speed. Is You know, you, you see speed from a guy – uh, they want to know is, you know, is it burst speed? Is it breakaway speed? You know, it, it Marquis Brown's fast. There's just, there's just no doubt. I mean, you can't, you can't look at this guy, whether it's on film or whether you're seeing him in person and not see speed. And that's going to be what makes him so draftable. It's not going to be his size. And I don't even know that it's going to be his health because he was fairly healthy outside of a hamstring issue uh, up until the big 12 championship game. And that's what really cost him uh, when it came to, you know, playing for, for Oklahoma in the in the Orange Bowl against Alabama. But I I I just think the guy's a lock. I I think he's a lock for for a first round pick, and I think he's a lock for a first half of the first round pick, just based off of his speed. He's got hands. He's not a guy that you really uh, because of his size that you would think of him being a vertical threat. But his speed makes him a vertical threat because it's hard body up. I mean, if you got a small guy out there, it's easy to body body him up. But if he can burst past you with his speed, then it's harder to body him up. And you know, the NFL is going to continue to work on his body uh, to make him as as thick as they can possibly get him. I just don't see any way he's not a early. And when I say early, I mean top 16 pick in the first round. So if he was in the NBA, you're telling me he's a lock for the lottery? Well, I mean, basically, yeah. I, but he's, yeah, he's I'm, not. Yeah, I'm messing NBA, with you so. because you're using that number of of 16. So here's here's the thing for me that that I really wanted to focus on as as we look at this upcoming NFL draft and the Raiders and Kyler Murray is the comments from John Gruden. There seem to be two camps that are coming out of these comments that he made. And I, I don't know, Matt, if you had a chance to look at him. I know you've been busy. I don't know if you've heard the words that he said, but it was really maybe maybe we need to reevaluate what a prototypical quarterback is in the NFL. And it's a reference to Kyler Murray, his, his size versus his athleticism. But it's not that. It's looking at what he did at Oklahoma behind a, a line that's NFL size. He wasn't missing passes. He wasn't in a position where he couldn't see over the line to complete those passes or read a defense. So John Gruden made that comment. And now I know 
Some people are taking that for face value. Others are saying, you know what, that's just a ploy in order to kind of gain some ground. Or, or I can't remember the technical term that was used there, but it's just a ploy to use for this upcoming NFL draft. Where do you sit on that spectrum? And are you agreeing with John Gruden? Or are you thinking it's just this, this gimmick that he's using in order to gain something? Well, I like to have the, I like the fact that every time a non-prototypical size quarterback comes out in the NFL draft, we have to go about this as if this hasn't been done before. You know, we saw it with Baker <laughs> right. Mayfield, you know, and, and everyone, oh, he's just not big enough for the NFL. And, you know, they don't – and then we talk about what well, the NFL quarterback position is evolving and, and things are changing. Look – People forget because of uh, this is a social comment, kind of free off the record types thing. Uh, people, social society forgets the past, and, and people forget guys like Doug Flutie. I mean, we look Russell Wilson. Give him credit; he is not your prototypical size quarterback in the NFL. He's got a Super Bowl ring. He's an All Pro quarterback. But before there was Russell Wilson, there were guys like Doug Flutie. And, and I'm just saying it's every, every time yeah, well, we, we hit this, every time we hit this with a, a non-prototypical size quarterback, we act like this is something that's never been done before. Well, it has been done before and it has succeeded before. And people want to throw out the Johnny Menzel failures. And, and there have been guys along the way who have failed. But every time someone wants to throw out John, Johnny Menzel, I'm going to throw out Ryan Leaf. And I'm going to say here, this was your prototypical quarterback NFL guy couldn't miss candidate that the Chargers took Ryan Leaf over Peyton Manning if I remember correctly because Ryan Leaf was <laughs> the can't miss guy so every position has those players that don't pay right out. but we like we like to take the guys who were the non-prototypical guys and put them under a microscope and highlight them that's why everyone wanted to compare Baker Mayfield to Johnny Manziel, not because of how good Baker Mayfield was or honestly how good Johnny Manziel was in college. They just wanted to compare him because Johnny Manziel failed in the NFL and they wanted to throw that moniker out there for Baker Mayfield because he wasn't prototypical. And now we're, we're trying to scrounge to find a reason why Kyler Murray can't do it. When, when Russell Wilson's already been doing it, Baker Mayfield did it. He's going to be the rookie of the year, uh, you know, and now we're, there's, there's no reason is he? to say Kyler can't do it. I, I don't see how he can't be, honestly. There, there's no reason to, to, for us now to say, based off of his size, Kyler can't do it. Well, Kyler's faster than Baker Mayfield was. He's got a very accurate and very strong arm. Tell, tell me why. Why can Kyler Murray not succeed in the NFL? There, there's no reason why he can't, and, and we're losing the size argument. So what John Gruden, no one in, in on ESPN was better at breaking down film than John Gruden. There's a reason why this guy is has been a successful coach at this level because he knows how to study film. And I'm promising you, John Gruden's looking at things with Kyler Murray. And he's not noticing size. He's noticing Kyler Murray read defenses. He's noticing Kyler Murray's athleticism. And he's noticing the touch and the deep ball that Kyler Murray throws with. When you look at the, the Orange Bowl and you think about that long touchdown pass of Charleston Rambo 
that was an NFL throw. There are quarterbacks right now starting in the NFL who struggle to make that throw. Kyler Murray did it on the biggest stage of, of his football career. There's there's no reason there's no reason with, for anyone to say this guy can What that but what does it matter? I mean, if you got one year, no, no, no. I mean, I'm just you, I'm just saying it. It adds to the level of impressiveness. If if you're trying to talk this guy up, then absolutely, I think you need to throw that. Hey, he makes this throw as a first year starter with not right. as many games under his belt as an NFL player has, and not the level of talent around him as an NFL quarterback would have but but in the same breath is uh, Matt I, I will say this because I love that you brought up this we have this prototypical size but it's very rare that we talk about these quarterbacks specifically with this prototypical size who are are six three six four however tall that may be with unlimited arm strength it seems and you had mentioned Leaf as that guy for you for for my generation it was Jamarcus Russell a guy who was a lock for that number mm-hmm. one pick. Unbelievable arm strength. He was throwing it. They were saying like 60 to I, – I can't remember how many yards it was off of his knees, though. And no one ever questioned his ability, regardless of what he did on the collegiate level. It was all about prototypical size, unlimited arm strength, and the ability to make things happen that we haven't seen before on that professional level. But we all know – for those of you listening and you don't know who Jamarcus Russell is, there's a reason why you don't know who that name. You don't remember that person outside of being the number one overall draft pick who was potentially the biggest bust in the NFL draft of all time. I love that point that you've made because it's something that I feel like we need to talk about more than, than what has been talked about on a national media scale. Prototypical size, but a bust. And it, it is this weird trend that we're seeing and just because you don't have prototypical size we're going to break you down and and we're going to dissect your abilities and say look you just don't have what it takes all because you're you're 510 you're not 64 well you and i have both stood next to kyler murray um on the baseball field and you know his his size he might be taller than you yeah well (laughs) (laughs) okay well, you're you're a taller guy, but I'm just saying, Kyler Murray's size is is it's what it's listed at. He's, he's about a five nine guy, but again, there's just so many different factors that come into play there that just you you got you've, you're going to have to get. I'm not an NFL ex- exec, I'm not an NFL scout, but if you're going to tell me Tyler, Kyler Murray's not a top ten pick, you got to give me a reason other than size. Because that the size argument is losing ground so fast, and it's because it's just it's been disproven. People fail all the time at all positions, and size doesn't always have as that much to do with it. When you, especially when you're looking at skill position guys, I mean, and again, we're looking at the same thing with Marquise Brown. Marquise Brown is a guy that that's smaller, but you go back and you start looking at the Edelmans, you, you start looking at the West Walkers, you start saying, well, yeah, well, these other guys will did it as well. But before there were those guys, there was a guy named Steve Largent in the NFL, had a, a all pro career with the Seattle Seahawks. Undersized, not supposed to be fast enough, but those guys talent finds a way. And here's the thing that we know about Kyler Murray from his high school days to his college days, baseball and football, his talent found a way for him to succeed at the highest of levels. Kids got talent. 
And if he wants to play football, I'm completely convinced he can play football and he can be really, really good at it. I just, I just personally hope it's not with Oakland. That's it. I mean, that's that's my two cents on that. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Kyler Murray well, I mean, definitely I, worthy. Uh, uh, go ahead. I just say Oakland's just. We thought Cleveland was in bad shape when when they when they drafted Baker. At least at least the Browns knew where they would be playing their next season of football. Oakland right now is just. Uh, there there are so many things going on right now with the Raiders that. And I don't even know if they're the Oakland Raiders. Are they the Los Angeles Raiders right now? I, I, that's what I'm saying. Is there's there's so much going on with the Raiders that I, I feel like personnel and on the field success is really taking a backseat to locations and stadiums and cities and venues. I just I I would hate for Kyler Murray to get into that mess to begin his NFL career. That, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, uh, I'm getting at the point that we've already made here. Kyler Murray, definitely worthy of top 10 consideration. I think after those measurables are recorded and they're put on a piece of paper and that stopwatch has clicked and that time has been recorded in that 40-yard dash, we're going to see a lot of eyebrows go up because of that athleticism. The height, Matt, I mean, that really has been the only knock against him. No one has said anything about his ability to throw the ball. Nobody has said anything about his ability to extend the plays or even scramble when necessary. No one has said anything about his ability outside of his height. And that's something that's never going to change. I'm sure he heard that from day one when he was on the high school level looking at Division I colleges and, and beginning to draw interest from schools like Oklahoma and Texas A&M, amongst others, I'm sure that was a concern. But the reality here is, you know, at least Texas didn't come in and recruit him as, as a wide receiver or a defensive back. Well, yeah, that's, that's true. All right, <laughs> let's, let's, look at, let's, let's spend some time looking at, um, at Oklahoma's offensive line. When, when, you, when you begin to break down as, as Oklahoma heads into spring practice, the biggest question mark on the offense, we talked about this a little bit last week, was at the quarterback position. Oklahoma resolved that by by getting Jalen Hurts to, to transfer in, be a graduate transfer, immediate eligibility, to really take the reins of this offense and, and to run the show why Spencer Rattler gets a year under his belt to be quarterback number two or even quarterback number three, depending on, on how that all shakes out this summer. The next biggest thing, as we've talked about in the past, is what Oklahoma's going to do along the offensive line. Bobby Evans is gone. Drew Samia is gone. Ben Powers is gone. Cody Ford is gone. This offensive line is is the restructuring and, and rebuilding of it. This is a legitimate thing where you've got Creed Humphrey as the only guy at this point that you can say he's a starter. He, he's He's a starter on this team next year because he you know he won the position uh this last season now you've got to build around him and it's not like there isn't talent there i, I i've talked about bray walker at the tackle position i i think you know i really think that he's a guy that uh, he can play guard or tackle he, he's six seven three twenty freshman this year he's got a, a good career ahead of him he's got that that lineman body that oklahoma likes simpson's another guy that fits that mold of the lineman body i've talked about finley felix coming in a juco transfer coming in as i feel like you know the spring is huge for this kid 
what I've said about him is that he he's a guy that if his attitude and mindset is correct, this thing is just open for him to come in and take a starting spot. Now the question becomes, is there the possibility that Oklahoma could help fix this problem with another graduate transfer, which would be uh, the Virginia kid, R.J. Proctor, who we know Bill Biedenboe was up in uh, making a visit with him at Virginia. He, he's a graduate transfer. He's got one year of eligibility. Could he be kind of Jalen Hurts best friend to come in and help this, solidify this line? Because Rich, I mean, it's, it's no secret your offense is only going to go as far as your line is going to take you because if you can't if you can't protect the quarterback that leads to very bad things if you can't protect the running back where we've seen kids come in and and really Oklahoma's been cranking out at the running back position for quite some time now and 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 you know a, a good post idea if you ever want one if I'm not around to to write it for you would be to compare Rodney Anderson, 2017, uh, you know, to Kennedy Brooks, 2018, and, and really compare how those guys came in late in the season and and really how they set themselves up to be the main guy going into the next season. But if you remove the offensive line from all of that, then you you find yourself in in a bad spot. I think Bill Biedenboe, Rich, has earned the trust of the Oklahoma fan base. I think his recruiting and the way he builds not just bodies with these linemen, but also the way he builds the system and the formulas and the knowledge and instills within them that nastiness. You know, we thought maybe it was just Orlando Brown. Maybe maybe Orlando Brown was just a nasty guy. I remember watching his dad play because I'm old. But then you, you look at a guy like Cody <laughs> Ford who had that nasty – look at Creed Humphrey who has that nastiness. That's something that's being instilled in these guys by the coaching staff, and, and it's the mentality in which they play with. I mean, Biedenboe has has earned the trust, and he's got some of the parts in play. But if, if you can get a kid like Proctor, this kid out of Virginia, to look your way and come in as a as a as a one year player, you got to jump on that, right? Absolutely. Given the situation, especially that Oklahoma's in, it is rebuilding this offensive line. And if you can add depth, but more importantly, experience to this, what's going to be a young, I don't know if you've looked at the roster and seen how many freshmen or sophomores, whether that's red shirt or not, are on the roster at the position of offensive linemen. I think you do need to bring in a guy like that. Obviously Creed Humphrey, Creed Humphrey, excuse me, can anchor this offensive line. But if you can bring in a guy who, who can really complement that or even take charge and let Creed Humphrey play the complimentary role, you've got to take a shot at it. I did want to throw one other name out there who I think could potentially be a name that we hear a lot coming out of the spring um, to fill a, a similar role as to what we're hoping Proctor can come in and do, assuming he chooses Oklahoma as, as that destination. It's Adrian Ely. He was a highly touted mm-hmm. recruit coming out of high school who had offers from LSU, offers from Michigan, obviously big-name programs who, who are doing good things. At times, Michigan um, was one of those teams we thought was going to be a college playoff contender until they met Ohio State in a conference game. But needless to say, Adrian Ely, I think, can be 
as a guy who now will be entering his third year in the system under Bill Biedenboe, as you mentioned, the mentality that's instilled in him. I think he could be a major player for this offensive line if nothing changes, if no one comes in and, and kind of assumes that role. We could see that Creed Humphrey, Adrian Ely being those two guys for Oklahoma. Yeah, and you know, and you've mentioned something as well. And by the way, I don't disagree with you at all with Ely. Um, but you mentioned depth in Oklahoma. We, we know the big names. We know we know about Bobby Evans. We know about Cody Ford. We know about Ben Powers, Drew Samia. But you know, they're losing of uh, their scholarship players along the offensive line. Kids that they had scholarship for 2018, they're losing seven players scholarship players now one of those is Tremonda Moore who was uh, sub- sub- subsequently dismissed from the team but you're losing um, you know Mittermeier you're losing Samia you're losing Powers you're losing Cody Ford you're losing Bobby Evans you're losing Tremonda uh, Moore as we said you're losing Alex Dalton I mean you're, you're losing not just starters four starters in that mix but you're losing depth and then Logan Robertson is a kid that I had pegged earlier as a, as a guy that, you know, that had a chance to really jump in there and compete for one of these four open positions in 2019, he flirted with the transfer portal. He was in the portal for a while. He's not in the portal at this point. That means that I, I feel like they've been able to, to quote, talk some sense to him. But he was a member of the 2015 class. So he has 2015, 16, 17, you know, under, underneath his belt. He, he's he's listed as a sophomore this season big kid 6'4 350 again he's got that body type that Biedenboe loves there 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 are bodies there Hayes is there 6'5 345 Swabby this kid that's and I'm probably not even pronouncing his right name right but 6'9 315 um I mean there there's there are people that are there that have the ability to make an immediate impact and and some of them are junior college kids some of them are true freshmen and sophomores some of them are red shirts i guess what i'm saying is the parts are in play for oklahoma to rebuild this offensive line and for it to be effective but that doesn't mean you turn down a kid who's just going to come for one year and what proctor brings to this team is is what you've mentioned leadership he brings experience, but he he solidifies something that at this point right now is very fluid and will remain so throughout the spring and into deep into the summer. You 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 I think if if he's a kid that comes to Oklahoma, nothing's given at Oklahoma, but he's a kid that you bring in and you pencil him in as a starter, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't have an issue with that one bit, considering as I've mentioned the inexperience that's on the roster. Uh, I'm just throwing out Adrian Ely because I know this stuff off the top of my head, but he's a good example of someone that we had high hopes for coming in under this, I don't want to say guys, but of this four-star status, highly touted recruit. He sat out as a redshirt freshman, played in five games as a, a freshman at that point in time. So, excuse mm. me, he sat out as a true freshman, played as a redshirt freshman last year in five games. That's not a lot of experience. There, One thing that we haven't mentioned at this point, Matt, has been the ability. It's not who you have on that offensive line 
as an individual. It's them as a cohesive unit and them gelling together. If you have a guy who has some experience and can be that glue, if you will, that really uh, weaves this group together in a guy like Proctor, I, I completely agree with you. You have to take that chance and you absolutely have to pencil him in as a potential starter. Now, as you've mentioned, it's going to have to be earned because he can't take a day off here and there and think, I'm here for one year. It's it's my spot to lose, and I'm not going to lose it regardless of how I act or train. He does have to earn it. But, again, assuming that that situation takes place, I think the biggest thing, and it's what we hadn't talked about, was his ability to help weave this group together because of the things that you've already mentioned, that leadership and, and what I've mentioned in experience. Well, here's he the thing. He will be a vocal I, I, guy, essentially, is what I would expect. I, see, I, I don't know about that. I, I feel like the, that leadership position is going to belong to your center. It's going to buy, it's going to belong to Creed Humphrey because I feel like he, he, this is his team. This is his line starting next year. But I feel like I got like Proctor. He, there, there are places, Oklahoma has not been the only school to, to go and visit him there. You know, Texas has been there Florida state has been there. Penn state has been there to see him. He has places he can go and just be a part of a team, but it's kind of like the Jalen Hurts situation there's only one place really that these kids have the opportunity to go and immediately plug in on a team that's a championship contender and also has a track record of putting kids in your position in the NFL. You you can't come be a part of that team with the mentality of just, I'm going to go play one more season where I can start. If that's what you want to do, then, then just stay where you are because he's a starter at Virginia or go to Florida State where you can make an impact and, and be a little bit better than, than what they had. You don't come to Oklahoma for that. You, you transferred to Oklahoma because you have the mentality that you want to play amongst the best and you want a chance to not only be in the college football playoff, to not only win a conference championship, but you want to have the opportunity to follow the guys before you that have laid the foundation already for you to get people to look at your direction from the NFL. Bill Biedenboe has developed that type of reputation. Well, I promise you, NFL execs and talent scouts will look at Oklahoma's offensive line next season based off of the track record of what Bill Biedenboe has sent up to the NFL since he's been at Oklahoma. And that's that's a reason to be here. That's a reason for Logan Robertson to take his name out of the transfer portal and come and have a chance to play. That's a, a reason for Bray Walker, who had a lot of expectations, five-star kid from you know directly around the campus area, Southmore High School, to come in and instead of pouting over and not playing as a freshman to really work on his body and his development like he's done to have a chance to put himself in position to do what basically what Creed Humphrey did this season, come in as a redshirt freshman and really make an impact on the football field. I just feel like there's a couple of JUCO kids there that that have that mentality that are ready to plug in. I mean, if, if you if you made me put offensive line together right now, I really feel like I could do it by by the 14 scholarship guys and the incoming that are they're there. I mean, because I feel like number one, Bill Biedenboe has done a great job with the guys who are there. And I feel like the guys are asking to come in, like Proctor, like like Finley Felix, these Juco kids, 
they're, they're there because the mentality and the effort matches what they're looking for. Is it going to be as good of an offensive line as what Oklahoma's had the last two years? Probably not, but can it be? Yeah, I think so. I concur with you in looking at the talent that Oklahoma is losing and the potential that exists there on the roster as well as through potential transfers. Bill Biedenboe, you've mentioned the track record. I think Oklahoma will be successful along the offensive line as they have been. In the past, it isn't going to have those big names that we're used to hearing, but it's certainly going to be a a team that gets that push and and creates things for these running backs who are expected to be two of the best in the country next year. All right, so here it is. I'm going to throw it out to you. I'm going to pretend that Proctor's coming, okay? Can can I do that? Can I I make that? Are you asking uh, my permission? Go for it. Well, first of all, let me ask you this. Why would he not come? Why, why would he not pick Oklahoma? I mean, it's the same I, question. I don't have a reason for you. I mean, that's, it, that's it, the reason for my silence. It, it's the exact same question we asked about Jalen Hurts. Why would you not come? When, when you know that you can fit in there and immediately be an impact guy on a team that well, – I, I don't want to repeat what I just said, but a team that has the potential of Oklahoma, why would you not do that? So I, I feel like I feel like if you're a kid of that caliber and Oklahoma is in on you, you're coming as as a graduate transfer. That's that's just my my t- my take on it. So here, here's my uh, I just lost my my notes. I, I clicked the wrong button on my computer. Isn't that awesome when when I do that? So here yeah, here it. is here is uh, your Heartland Sports preseason uh, pre spring offensive line prognostication. Are you ready? Center positions. A big word. Center center positions pretty set. I mean, that's Creed Humphrey. He, he's there. He's not going anywhere. Here, your guards are going to be uh, Finley Felix, and I'm I'm going to throw your boy Bray. I'm I'm, I'm going to say Bray Walker beats out your boy uh, Adrian Ely, but it's close. Your guard positions is where I think Ely is going to get his his opportunity by sliding over into the guard. And I'm going to say Proctor's coming, and he's going to take one of those guard positions as well. There's there's five names, five big-time recruits, Walker with five-star, Ely a five-star, Proctor a proven uh, four-year player, uh, excuse me, three-year player at, the, at, at Virginia, Humphrey a proven player at Oklahoma, Felix a, a kid that's coming in. Uh, as a JUCO transfer. Now, here's the other thing that you want to look at. There's another JUCO transfer on campus, and and I I, I apologize to the kid for not pronouncing his name correctly earlier. If I met, I don't know if it's a long A or a short A, but David Swaby uh, is a kid who came in 6'9", 315 as a JUCO transfer, part of the 2018 class, um, has been on campus. He has a chance as well uh, to jump in there, but. Those are my five that I'm throwing out there at this point. And, and I think guys like Logan Robertson have a chance. I mean, there, there are other guys that, that are going to make an impact, and there are other guys that are going to play because you never only play five. You know, you got to rotate guys. Uh, then you got your garbage time guys. So they're never going to just play five. But you made me narrow it down to five, and there it was. What do you think? I, I actually really like that, looking at – the situation, and I'm asking myself, where are the big names? Well, you just gave them to me. 
because it's not like these are unknown names. They're, they're just not proven names. They had all of the accolades coming out of high school. They were highly touted. They were guys that we consistently mentioned as a, a part of their recruiting classes, minus Proctor at this point in time, but guys that we consistently mentioned because we thought they were big gets at the time who could affect the game and, and the way Oklahoma plays football in the future. Now, all of a sudden, they're, they're just taking the forefront. They are big names, Matt. I mean, it, it's hard for me to get around that fact because I'm a little bit taken aback by it. I, I wasn't expecting you to give me names that I felt like people knew regardless of how, how closely they followed the realm of recruiting. Well, there you have it, man. That's why we do what we do. He's Rich. I'm Matt. Heartland Sports is uh, the website, heartland-sports.com, uh, Sooner Nation podcast. You can catch us on Twitter, at Sports Heartland. Um, man, we're, go- we're going to go ahead and, and begin to wrap it up uh, here for this episode. Uh, we'd love for you guys to participate in the conversation. Shoot us a, 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 you know, a tweet at Sports Heartland. Leave a comment. Uh, make sure you rate us or follow us. At least follow us, but we'd like a good rating on iTunes or TalkShoe. That always helps us out as well. Rich, any uh, final thoughts? Uh, basketball, softball, baseball, football. It, you, you have the floor, sir, to say what you want to say before yeah, we close this yeah, out. Yeah, I'm just I'm going to hint at something because we barely touched on it as we mentioned spring sports coming about, and it it's really revolves around this this softball team. I don't know how you if you've never watched softball. I would encourage you to at least take in one Oklahoma game. And I'm not talking about on TV. I'm talking about in person because it will change, (laughs) literally change your life. Matt, you and I started attending the games and the environment, you, you just have to experience it firsthand because it's like nothing else that I've ever experienced in a collegiate. I I say nothing else. I've been to national championship games, and obviously I'm not comparing it to that, but the reality is it's not what you expect it to be. In Oklahoma, they pull in a recruit in G G, uh, Juarez, and they're looking at competing for a national championship once again. This may, I'm not saying it'll be their last shot, but this is that chance at forming a dynasty three national championships in the past four years, I don't think has ever been done in the current era of softball that we're in before it was dominated just by the the Pac-12. Now that's spread out, Big 12, the SEC, the ACC has a national championship as well recently. So, man, like I said, it's just going to be a very, very intriguing season as Oklahoma starts out with 15 games away from home. Yeah, and you know, um, I don't know if you heard me talking to Chris Plank before the Orange Bowl, but um, because of the scheduling changes last year, particularly with the Iowa State series moving to Norman, Oklahoma only has one series in the Big 12 at home this year. So it's going to be a little bit more difficult for Oklahoma softball than it was last year. But I think uh, you, you mentioned the pitching, you know, Jocelyn Allo being a year older, a year more mature, uh, at waiting for her pitch or letting uh, letting pitchers walk her, that those, those are going to be things that make a big difference this this year as well. And uh, you need to get there. You need to see them because it's it's going to be limited opportunity this year until it gets really to regional play in NCAA, uh, you know, the, the Women's College Softball World Series. And then all of a sudden you're looking at a, a more expensive ticket where you can have a good time and see a good team for a lot cheaper than that if you'll go earlier. 
that's going to wrap it up for us. Uh, we'll be back next Tuesday. Uh, thankful for good Wi-Fi and technology. I'm not for sure where I'll be in Panama next week, but hey, I'm still down here in South America, Central America, wherever I am on the globe. Rich in North America, thanks for hanging out with us. Rich, uh, thanks for taking the time to, to spend with us. And uh, we will see you guys next week. Have a fantastic rest of your week. Boomer Sooner.